0: you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, found on page 1,159. Ephesians 2, we're going to read the first 10 verses. Ephesians 2. Trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Has anyone ever asked you to explain to them what you believe about Jesus? And what if after you told them about who Jesus was, that He had died on the cross for our sins, and because of that we have Eternal life and salvation, what if they pressed you a little further and says, But what does your church believe what What doctrines do you hold as as being important? And while we have much in common with other uh, um, Christian denominations, churches um, all around, yet there there are some doctrines that we have that are that we hold dear that are important to us, that, that make us distinctly different and Reformed. And these differences in the past, they were a point of controversy for God's people. A few years before the pilgrims landed on the shores of, of New England in the Mayflower, a controversy erupted in the Netherlands and spread throughout Europe and around the world. And it began with a theological faculty of a Dutch institution that was uh, committed to Calvinistic uh, teaching. And some of the professors there began to have second thoughts about some of the things that they professed to to believe, like the doctrines of election and predestination, as well as others. And as the the theological controversy erupted across the country at a upset theologians and and those in in the church to the point where they were actually attacking one another. There's basically five doctrines that are at the the center of that controversy. And as a result of the debate, um, those doctrines have become known as what we would call them as TULIP. And uh, you might remember those of you who have been in catechism, exactly what those mean. Um, actually, tulip is is a summary of the canons of Dort, and uh, we don't look at that very often. But um, tulip sums it up well, and and maybe you remember what each of them stands for. Um, T is for total depravity. Okay, a little rusty here. U U is for. Uh, yep and unconditional election. And, and that's one that I, I always get messed up because I want to call it um, unconditional atonement. I don't know why. But, um, and then we have uh, L is limited atonement. I is irresistible grace. P is perseverance of the saints. Well, you guys are right on that. <laughs> Some years ago now, there was an article in the banner that used the acronym FAITH. Instead of Tulip, um, according to the, the author, and I would have to agree with him, um, Tulip has become misdu- misunderstood in the world, and uh, it, we often get a bad rap for, for what we believe. And so they came up with, with faith as, as an alternative to uh, Tulip. I remember one time being part of a, a pastor's group in, in the last community that I was part of back in, in Indiana. And uh, we used to have the pastors come together from the community uh, once a month, and I remember I, I met this one pastor, and one of the first things he said to me after I introduced myself and told him what church I was from, he goes, oh, you're one of the frozen chosen. What did he mean by that? Why, why did he say that to me? And I, I, I think clearly it, it shows that there's some misunderstanding in the world around us um, exactly what we believe as Reformed Christians. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at TULIP and, and what that stands for. And today we're going to be focusing on total depravity. Or if you go by faith, that would be fallen humanity. Now people normally like to think of themselves, don't like to think of themselves as, as totally depraved. Other words that have been used in the past, um, i can just thinking of one of them, is the song we just sang. Amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me are we really wretches do we walk around thinking of ourselves as a as a wretch in need of Christ a couple years ago um well actually it was even longer than that um there was some work to uh change some of the words of some of the the songs that we sing to make them little bit more easy for people to uh, digest I guess and uh, instead of a wretch like me it was replaced by saved and set me free and rather than such a worm as I it's been re- rewritten as so and such as I um, again they're allowed to make changes to songs but why would they do that why would they try to tone it down that idea that we are wretches or worms or we're totally Depraved. Listen to how one Christian songwriter justified changing those words. People like me don't self-identify as a wretch. While John Newton may have deserved the title of wretch, since he was a slave trader, I'm not like Newton. I'm a better person than he was. I haven't sinned like he sinned, therefore I am not a wretch. I am not despicable or contemptible or a contemptible person. What do you think? Yeah, we're all wretches, aren't we? We're all despicable and contemptible, at least until we meet Christ and He restores us and renews us and covers us with His righteousness. Listen to how Paul puts it in Colossians one twenty one: Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior totally depraved, wanting nothing to do with God. You know, when God created the world, He looked around and He said, this is good. Everywhere He looked, it is good. But what ruined it was the coming of sin. And when I say sin, it's with a capital I, because that's what it becomes for us. Everything in creation was affected by sin. And we can see the effects of that not only in the world around us, but we can see the effects of it in our own lives. From crime, to hunger, to bloodshed, to sickness, the brokenness is all around us. And clearly we're not home yet. We've been corrupted at our very essence. Our very DNA, the Bible says, is, has been corrupted. And we try to deny it. We try to say it isn't so. But in the end, there's no denying this truth. Remember when my mom was diagnosed with, with cancer. Everyone in my family, we were in denial about it. We, we, we didn't want to accept it. Our first thought was there must be some mistake. There had to be a mistake. Our second thought was, well, maybe it's not as bad as we thought it was. She really needs to get a second opinion. And after a few days, a few more days, suddenly the realization just hit home. She was going to die, and there's nothing that anyone could do about it. We do the same thing with sin. We don't want to hear about it. We want to deny it. We want a second opinion from psychologists or certain religious leaders who tell us that people are, yeah, basically good. Or it's one's one's environment, the environment that you live in. That's what makes people bad. But again, that's not what the Bible teaches. Our very DNA has been affected by sin. Even that little bitty baby that that was just born. Even though they're cute as all get out and, and precious. Even they were born in sin. And because we don't want to accept the, the diagnosis, the diagnosis of sin, then we miss we miss out on the cure that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Unless we really understand how terrible sin is. Until we understand that we won't really realize the gift we've been given in Jesus and appreciate it and embrace it and live it in our lives. Look at the things that Paul says sin has brought to us. The first one he says in our, our text is death. As for you, you are spiritually dead in your transgressions and sin. Or as he puts it in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Clearly the biblical picture of man's condition, it's, it's not good. According to Scripture, we're dead in our sins. Period. We don't need a teacher. We don't need a guide or a doctor. Actually, we need a miracle. We need eternal life. We need to be born again. Paul also says in verse 2 that sin has made us disobedient. Disobedient. We really don't want to follow God. We want to do our own, go our own way, do our own things. Listen as Paul explains this in Romans 7. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for what I do is not the the good I want to do, no, the evil I do, I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Even though we want to do good, somehow we just struggle at it. And the evil just continues to come out. We continue to sin. Paul says in our disobedience, we turn away from God. Rather than live for the kingdom, live for Jesus, we start living for ourselves and we start living for the things of the world around us. And it shows. Next thing Paul mentions in our text is about how our our sin causes us to be children of wrath because of our depravity. Depravity. Children of wrath. Verse 3, Paul says, Before Christ, our goal was to gratify the, the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Listen to how the Catechism puts it. Answer 7 of the, of the Heidelberg. Our corrupt human nature comes from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are born sinners corrupt from conception on. That's why they call it total depravity. Because of this, even the good we do, it's tainted by sin. The good we do is like filthy rags, Isaiah says. I think that's Jeremiah, actually. Psalm 51. It reminds us that we were sinful from birth, sinful from the the time our parents conceived us. This depravity is so complete that unless God begins that good work in us, we can't even... Choose Jesus. We don't really want anything to do with Him unless God puts that desire in our hearts. During the trial of Adolf Eckermann, the mastermind of the Jewish Holocaust in Germany, a Jewish man had testified against him, and afterwards he was found weeping in the corridor of the courtroom. Just outside the courtroom, his friend asked him, why, why are you crying? And the man replied, because I realize now that he is a man just like I am, and I could have done what he did. Well, he had always imagined that this man was a monster, and would seem like a monster when he met him. Yet when he finally got into his presence, he realized that anyone could have done something like that. That's the fruit of of sin. Paul says, no one is righteous, not even one. Our sin, no matter how big or how small, it's an affront to God. An affront to His holiness, His righteousness. And it has to be dealt with. Our sin has to be dealt with. And so either it's going to be dealt with in hell for eternity, or by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, asking Him to forgive you of all your sins, you'll receive the gift of eternal life, of righteousness, and you'll spend eternity in heaven. See, we need to see our sin through the eyes of God. And when we do, then that gets rid of our our excuses. And That's the good news of the rest of our passage. While our sin is horrible and deserves eternal punishment, yet in Christ there's hope in in Him. There's hope in Jesus. We've been raised from the dead in Christ and and given the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says in verse 4 that it's a gift of love. Out of God's great love for us, He sent us His one and only Son into the world. We wonder about that love. How is that possible? Why would God do this? The answer is we don't know. We, we can only look at His love and, and begin to imagine it and, and see its height and depth and width and length. And, and still, after we've done looking at it, we still don't totally understand it. Because it's so amazing and so wonderful. Paul also says that our gift of salvation is based on the mercy and grace of God. It's based on God's mercy and grace. End of verse 4. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Again, what is, how is mercy different than grace? We've talked about this before, but listen as uh, James Boyce sums this up. Mercy is grace in action. Because of sin, we could not save ourselves, so God acted out of grace to save us. So God in grace chose to save us. And then He showed us that grace through His mercy and actually sending His one and only Son, Jesus, to take away our sins. And because of Christ, there's now redemption. Complete forgiveness of all our sins. Third, verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is actually working within us and and, and has raised us from our our spiritual death. The death that we were facing. And that's what's symbolized in our baptism. It's a dying, dying with Christ and being raised again to new life through Jesus. And this is nothing that we can accomplish on our own. It's a gift from God. And now as His children, the end of verse 6 says, God has seated us with Christ in the heavenly heavenly realms. Since the work of salvation is completed, Jesus now sits at the right-hand side of, of God. That never happened in the Old Testament or the New Testament. There was no chairs in the temple. And the reason there was no chairs is because the work of salvation was never done. Another sacrifice had to be made over and over and over again. But because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, no more sacrifices need to be made. And so now Jesus sits on the right-hand side of God. And our text says He invites us to rest as well in that salvation. See, there's nothing we can add to our salvation. Our good works don't earn our way to heaven. Our good works are a way for us to show our thanks. Truly, it is a gift of grace. Finally, Paul says in verse 7, after God raised and exalted us, that He keeps us. Again, the Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Because God is keeping us. He's holding us. And He's not going to let us go. Oh, you may wander away for a while. He's not letting you go. When you become a child of God, you are His. He's not going to take His hand off of you. During the Vietnam War, a young West Point graduate was assigned to lead a group of new recruits in the battle. Despite the difficult circumstances, he did his job well. But one night, apparently, they met stiff resistance. And as they were making their way back to the helicopter to escape, one of his men was wounded and fell. And even though the young lieutenant was already in the chopper with the rest of the men, the the lieutenant jumped out and, and ran for this fallen soldier. And as he carried him back to the helicopter, apparently he was hit. And as they made their way back to base, he died. After the rescued soldier had recovered and returned to the States, the lieutenant's parents found out the name of this soldier and invited this man to to join them for supper. They they heard that he was in town. They wanted to know more about this young man whose whose life had been saved at such a great cost to them. Well they again they invited the man to dinner and when he, he came into the home he was obviously drunk. He told off-color jokes. He showed no sensitivity, no gratitude for the sacrifice of their son who died to save them. And the grieving parents, they they did their best to make this soldier's visit a, a good one, a positive one, but their efforts went unrewarded. And after their guests finally left, apparently the lieutenant's mom fell on her knees crying And she said to think that our son had to die to save someone like that. Someone like that. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? When He died on the cross for someone like us? We were totally undeserving of this gift of grace. So how do you respond to this gift of grace and mercy and love? How do we respond to it? Paul has an idea in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our good works. The fruit that we bear. The fruit that we bear each and every day as we go out into the world. That's what we've been called to do. To live for Jesus. And to allow His reflection to be seen in in everything that we do. You see, there's no way we can ever repay God for the gift we've been given in Jesus. There's no way we can repay God for that salvation. But what we can do is show Him our thanks. Show Him our gratitude. We are His workmanship. We're a masterpiece of the King. His work of art. His sculpture. His vase. And we were created... For good works. We're created to glorify our Father in heaven. Whatever He's asked you to do, wherever He's placed you, that's where He wants you to glorify Him. And we forget that sometimes. It's so easy to live like the world around us, to live for ourselves with the capital I that we talked about, that's in sin. But we have to remember that we know. We now belong to Jesus. We're His. And we owe Him a great debt of gratitude. So we all need to ask ourselves, what are you living for? Are you living as a slave to sin? are you living in the freedom of Christ Jesus? Are you living your life for His glory, for His honor, for His pleasure? Is a way to express your thanks, or is it just the opposite? That we've become like that soldier who's just totally ungrateful for the gift that he received. To the gift of God's love in Jesus, this morning, how will you respond? Can we offer him anything else than to love him with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind? deserve, he deserves for us to give him our all, our best, through the help of the Holy Spirit. May we be faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we confess our sins to you. We confess how we don't live for you always and, and put you first. Lord, it's so easy to put ourselves first and you second. It's so easy to allow idols into our lives, things that become more important than you. Father, we, are, we acknowledge that we are corrupt in our very essence and we need a Savior. Jesus, we just pray that you might wash us, every part of us, our hearts, our souls, our minds. We offer ourselves totally to you. We just pray, Lord, that we might now offer our lives to you as a, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing in your sight. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand and let's sing at